You are listening to a podcast from Essendon Presbyterian Church in Melbourne, recorded 10 a.m. on September 17, 2023, presented by Reverend Chris Duke. Let's uh, turn to Romans now, the book of Romans, and we're going to read from chapter 9. We're going to pick it up at verse 25. As he says also in Hosea, I will call them my people who are not my people and her beloved who is not beloved. And it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. Isaiah also cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant will be saved. For he will finish the work and cut it short in righteousness, because the Lord will make a short work upon the earth. And as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom, and we would have become made like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at the stumbling stone, As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offence, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. May the Lord bless to us the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, as we come before you today around your word, around this passage uh, specifically in the book of Romans. We pray, Lord, that you will speak to our hearts, that you will teach us and that you will help us to see uh, your plan of salvation in our lives and and to be ever grateful for it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we recall, uh, it's been a while now that we've been working through Romans. I haven't been uh, um, doing it every week and uh, especially this uh, chapter. This is, uh, I think, our fourth or fifth uh, sermon in this this chapter and uh, we're we're dealing with the issue of election. But back in Romans chapter 1, Paul introduced us uh, to the, the wonderful doctrine of justification. Paul declared that the wrath of God has been revealed from heaven against the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. God has made knowledge of himself so clear in nature. Okay, that's the first thing. God declares himself in nature and then he's also made knowledge of himself in our consciences that we are without excuse. No person in this world is without excuse when it comes to knowing God. And despite our clear knowledge of the righteousness of God, we have fled from God's presence. Then Paul continues by showing us that both 
Jews and Gentiles, are equally guilty under the law of God, before God. And then in chapter 3, he spells out uh, the degree of our corruption, stating that no one can be justified in the sight of God through works of the law. And then Paul states the grand doctrine, that justification is by faith alone. He then lays out the benefits of justification and sanctification and adoption. And then we come to chapter 8 where we have the order of salvation. Salvation began in eternity, okay? Your salvation, my salvation began way back in eternity in God's decree to elect some, to choose some. And Paul defends this using the example of Jacob and Esau. Paul anticipates objections uh, to his teaching and people have been objecting to his teaching from the very first century. Paul answers emphatically in the negative to people's objections. And as we come to our passage today, Paul reminds us that Hosea was required to marry an adulterous woman whose children had symbolic names. And one child was called Lo-Ami. Lo-Ami, in the Hebrew it means not my people. In that name, God expressed his judgment against the the ten tribes of Israel because uh, those ten tribes became apostate. But afterwards, as we read in Romans chapter 12, Uh, Chapter 9, verse 25, we read this, I will call them my people who were not my people and her beloved who were not my beloved. The failure of one group becomes, on this occasion, it becomes the occasion to expand God's mercy outside the covenant community of Israel. Mercy has been extended to the Gentiles. Originally, the Jewish people were the stewards of God's oracles. However, they sadly missed the coming of Messiah. As a nation, Israel rejected their Messiah, Jesus. When we who are not Jews receive salvation, we are adopted into God's family where we experience the love and the affection of God that we actually have no claim to. We have no claim to it. There is nothing lovely about us for God to choose us. But in his mercy, he has ple- he's been pleased to call us his people and to adopt us into his family without any birthright and without any entitlement. We come to God in Christ and he now calls us beloved. Wow. We come to God in Christ and he calls us beloved. Now in today's culture and over the years, especially over the last 150 years, we've seen erroneous biblical teaching creep in and it's been taught in our pulpits throughout the world. We hear repeatedly that God loves everyone equally. So in reality, it it has diminished God's love, the concept of what we think about God's love. We've come to think that God's love is no big thing. Of course God loves us 
He is a loving God. God loves everybody. However, to be loved by God is to is actually a privilege. And it's not a birthright. We have no claim on the love of God. There is nothing in any of us that would make him desire us, yet he has. And by his mercy, he has turned his affection to all who put their trust in him. We need to understand the doctrine of election in terms of election being in Christ. You are not a Christian while others are not Christians because of any righteousness in you. You are a Christian because of the sheer grace of God, because of his sheer unmerited favour upon you. You might wonder why God should save anyone. And the only answer is, the only answer I can give you today from this pulpit is because of the great love that the Father has for the Son, that God the Father has for the Son. Now we've been uh, studying the, uh, the book of John, especially in evening services, both uh, Bill and myself have been going through the book of John in the last 12 months. And in that study of John, believers in Jesus are actually a gift of the Father to the Son. If you are a believer, then you are a gift of the Father to the Son, to the person of Jesus Christ. God the Father has given you to the Son. And this is due to the great love that God the Father has for the Son. He gives to the Son. He gives to Christ a people, a legacy, and it's by God's mercy that we're, we're, we're actually included in this. Now in verse 26, there's a warning to the visible church. Let me explain this terminology, visible and invisible church. Visible and invisible church. What do I mean? The visible church is all those who belong to a church. That's all of us here today. We can see each other. That's what visible means, doesn't it? We're all the ones who attend church. It's worship services and and you're involved in the life of a local congregation. The invisible church are predominantly all those who are part of the visible church. The invisible church are predominantly all those who are part of the visible church, but the invisible church are the true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 26 says this. I think it will be up on the screen. And it, shall come, and it shall come to pass in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they shall be called sons of the living God. We participate in the family of God, but God has only one son. Since God places us in Christ, we also, we also participate in his sonship. And therefore we become sons and we become daughters of God. 
who by nature, we are not children of God. By nature, we are not children of God, because, but because we participate in the sonship of Christ as believers, we become children of God. Isaiah is also stated by Paul in verse 27. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. Though the number of the Israelites be like the sand of the sea, only the remnant will be saved. Now Paul focuses his attention here back to the Abrahamic covenant. Okay, goes right back to uh, Genesis, starting in, in um, Genesis 15, which promises to multiply Abraham's descendants as the stars are in the heavens and the sand is in the seashore. Yet out of that mammoth number, out of that mammoth number, only a remnant will be saved. Only a remnant will be saved. Now, a debate amongst theologians occurred in the 18th century as to the number of humans who will be saved. The consensus based on scripture was that the vast number, uh, that a vast number of people will not enter the kingdom of God. We hope for a remnant from the kingdom of God. Now, Let's, we just saw a video before about the Red Sea, okay? It was a kid's video, but it, the message is still the same for us today. We saw that God rescued the children of Israel from Egypt. It was a vast number. It could have been in the, in the Lomians who crossed the Red Sea but only a remnant of those who crossed the Red Sea actually went into the promised land. Do you realise that? Matthew 7 gives us a warning. Matthew 7, chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go by, who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. So what about the Christian church? Are you safe by the virtue of your membership in the visible church? We have learnt that people outside of Israel Whilst there, vast num whilst there are vast numbers of people inside, are actually not safe. Remember, we looked at this earlier. Paul has taught that one is not a Jew inwardly, or outwardly, but you're a Jew inwardly. Okay, it's what's in the heart. Receiving circumcision is not enough to get into the kingdom. And the same applies to the church. It applies in church membership. And it applies even in receiving baptism, whether this uh, somehow guarantees your salvation. Well, we know that it doesn't. One could ask the question, what is the benefit of being a member of the visible church? Well, there are many advantages of belonging to a church, especially if it's a Bible-believing, 
church and it preaches the gospel. It teaches the full counsel of God. I'm not saying that baptism, I'm not saying that church membership are not necessary. I'm saying that these actions don't save you. However, the church has been given the oracles of God now. We've been given the commission to preach the oracles of God and to make disciples. Augustine, one of the great uh, church fathers who lived in the, th- in the 300s AD, we call that the 4th century, made distinctions between the visible and the invisible church. Now I want, to, want you to remember what Jesus warned. He warned that the tares would grow alongside the wheat. You know, the weeds would grow alongside the good food where people can honour the Lord with their lips while their hearts are far from the Lord. The most dreadful warning Jesus gave concerns what will happen on the last day when Jesus returns and judgment occurs. We read about this in Matthew 7 verse 22. And there will be many people who will be disappointed. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you away from me, you evildoers. On that day, some will claim that I was baptised. Some will claim that I've been an elder. Some will claim that I even taught Sunday school. And the Lord will say, I never knew you. Friends, these are sobering thoughts and we, we, we have to talk about these sobering thoughts as well as all the joyous ones. Jesus gives a warning to the visible church and this is a warning to you and to me, myself. Therefore, we should never seek assurance of our status before God by looking to church membership as proof of our inclusion in the kingdom. Now, I'm all in favour of people becoming members of the local congregation. Augustine said it's easy to count the number of people in the visible church, but their souls cannot be seen. Their souls cannot be seen. I don't know what's in your heart. You don't know what's in my heart. In saying this, in saying this thing, one thing is for sure. Those who have affection for Christ and those who trust in him alone for their salvation are certainly in the invisible church. The state of your own soul is invisible to fellow people, but it is manifestly visible to God. Remember what uh, it, it says in 1 Samuel, going back to chapter 16, verse 7, we're reminded that people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. God knows everyone within his adopted family in ways we cannot even fathom. He knows you better than anyone. The invisible church is the true church and it contains the full number of all those who are saved. So where do you find the invisible church? 
Augustine wrote that invariably the invisible church is found in the visible church. It is remotely possible that a true believer may not be involved in the church, but this is an exception rather than a rule and it doesn't last for very long. If our lives are in tune with God, we will sooner or later unite ourselves within the visible church. People sometimes point to the thief on the cross. The thief that Jesus received into the kingdom because of his belief. Yes, he didn't have time to become a member of a church. He didn't have time to become baptised. His only public profession of faith was before Jesus himself and maybe the other thief and maybe those who were close enough who heard his discussion. You can be tempted to think that all of this doesn't matter. It matters because it's where the church is visibly that the means of God's grace is concentrated and it's concentrated mostly in a Bible-believing, gospel-preaching and teaching church that endeavours to make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where else can you go to hear the exposition of the word of God? You won't go and hear it in the debates of federal parliament. You won't hear it on the lips of your state politicians. You won't hear it from your local council members. And you won't hear it from your employers, mostly. What you'll hear is, is mostly on many occasions God word, God's word blasphemed and trashed and his name taken in vain. It's only in the church that you'll hear the oracles of God proclaimed and explained and his wonderful gospel of grace. And yes, we need to be wise because there are churches today that don't teach the truth of the gospel. They don't proclaim God's word. Today you might hear a social gospel or you might hear a, hear a, uh, a social justice gospel. Some churches are not going to deliver the means of grace. However, it's the visible church that the means of grace where God's grace is dispensed is most concentrated. And as we come to verse 29, we're told, as and as Isaiah said before, unless the Lord of the Sabbath had left us a seed, we would have become like Sodom and we would have been made like Gomorrah. In my garden, there's a plant. In reality, it's a weed. It's a weed that I wish that its seed was never, ever dispersed, especially during spring and summertime. Now, I'm sure that you had the same weed at times. It's called onion weed. Every flower pod will disperse about 50 seeds and there's heaps of flower pods that spring up every year. The weed is almost impossible to eradicate. I try and catch the pods before they flower every day, but I miss many. 
They open when I'm not looking and the pods, the little flowers open and, and explodes its seeds. However, in the life of Israel and then later in the life of the church, if no remnant existed to carry on the spread of God's word, our destiny would be like Sodom and Gomorrah, which were destroyed. Even as God brought judgment upon Israel, a remnant remained, a seed remained to worship the true and the living God and to pass on God's word to the next generation. Verse 30, Paul asks a rhetorical question. Now you might ask, what is a rhetorical question? Well, a rhetorical question is a question that actually makes a point rather than to get an answer. Okay? What shall we say then? That's what he says. What shall we say then that gentles who did not, Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? We who are Gentiles receive the benefits of righteousness even though we haven't pursued them. Now the Gentiles who Paul is referring to here, who is the book written to? The Romans. The Romans had no clue concerning the history of redemption through the people of Israel. They didn't study the Old Testament scriptures. They didn't care about the law of Moses. They didn't know the Ten Commandments. They were not pursuing the righteousness of God. But through the mercy of God, they found righteousness that initially they were not pursuing. That's what this is meaning. And you might also relate to this. How did you become a believer? In God's mercy, you have heard the gospel and in God's mercy, there's been more than just hearing. God, through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, has revealed the truth of the gospel and enabled you to believe. To believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the Messiah who died for your sin and you have been given, what's been given to you is the gift of faith. And you've been enabled. You've been allowed to repent. That is to turn away from your sin. In other words, God has found you. God has found you. He's pursued you. When you are not looking to God, God revealed himself to you. It's by God's grace that he found you. You were once were lost, but now you are found. And Paul goes on in verse 31, But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. And Paul asks the question, why is it that those outside the redemptive, historical, covenant community found the pearl of unimaginable price while those inside missed it? While those inside missed it. 
Remember in John chapter 1, verse 11, it says this, He came to his own and his own did not receive him. Why? In verse 32, Paul asked the question, why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone. The reason was that they did not seek God, they did not seek Christ by faith. By faith. And please note that the one whom God appointed as the cornerstone of the kingdom became a stumbling block. He became an offence. Israel was staring right into grace when they saw the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were staring right into grace, but they tripped over grace. What a sad reality. They fell over their Messiah because they couldn't understand that in receiving God's favour, it was to be separate from their own righteousness. The multitudes in Israel chased after God's righteousness through their own endeavours and they missed out on the kingdom of God. And friends, the same idea is prevalent amongst people in the church. On a recent recent holiday in Bali, I was speaking to a Balinese woman and she told me that she was a Christian. I was surprised because mostly they're Hindu or Islamic. And I told her that I was a Christian. I asked her, if you were to die now, where would you go? She replied, heaven. I then asked her how she was certain that she would go to heaven. She replied, I hope I've been a good enough person. I expected her answer to be like this because she told me that she went to a Catholic church. I then asked her, do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe this? She said, yes. Have you repented of your sin? She said, yes. I then told her to be sure that you will go to heaven. If you are to go to heaven, it will never depend on your own good works on being a good person. Although if we are believers, we should live uh, less sinful lives. But rather it, it depends on the perfect good work of Christ, which he has finished, which he did finish when he died on the cross. He completed his good works when he died and when he rose and when he ascended to heaven. You see, we need to remember Ephesians 2 verse 8 and the the young people, all the young people should memorise this verse. If you memorise this verse and come to me, I will give you a, a good reward. Okay, there's four of you in the service today. If you memorise this verse, I will give you a good reward. Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For by grace you have been saved by faith. Many people in the visible church believe that they will enter heaven by their good works. And this is counter to the gospel of grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
if you were to die tonight, the only reason why God should let you into heaven is because you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. There is no other reason. Your good works, your good deeds will never be good enough. In fact, they would never even come close. Your only hope, my only hope, is in the life and the death and in the resurrected life of Jesus Christ. Not your righteousness, not my own righteousness, but Christ's, his righteousness. And this has been the theme all the way through so far in the book of Romans. Whose righteousness matters? Whose righteousness justifies? Not yours, not mine. And the tragedy of the Jewish people is that they sought the kingdom of God by their own righteousness. And that can be our tragedy too, if we're not careful. And so they missed the Messiah and they tripped right over him. They did not seek God's kingdom by faith, but by works, by the work of the law. They stumbled at the stumbling stone. And Paul again quotes Isaiah in verse 33, As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offence, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. You see, Israel was offended by the rock. They were offended by the cornerstone. They were ashamed of a suffering servant, a suffering servant who hung on a tree, who bled and who died, but was in reality bleeding and dying for all who would acknowledge him as the Lord God and who would believe in him as the only perfect atoning sacrifice. And friends, my question to you today is, do you believe this? Do you believe this? In addition, Jesus not only died, but he rose from death for us. Jesus said in John chapter 11, verses 25 to 26, we emphasise these verses uh, this week at Dallas's funeral, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? These are Jesus' words. Friends, are you relying on your good works for your salvation or are you trusting in Christ's perfect good works alone? Christ lived his life perfectly under the law of God. He never sinned. Are you putting your faith in trust in Christ alone? I pray that you'll trust in Christ alone for your salvation. That's my prayer for all of us here today. Amen. Would you pray with me? Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can share around this word as we contemplate this wonderful salvation through Christ. Lord, there's a warning for us all here and we pray, Lord, that we might heed this warning and that we would seek you out and truly believe in you that each one of us may be born again into the kingdom 
in the, born again in the spirit and received into the kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. More messages of hope at Essendon Presbyterian Church. .org.au or wherever you get your podcasts from.